Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to another episode of New Books in Systems and Cybernetics, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Tom Schult from the University of British Columbia. Listeners familiar with our recent podcasts exploring the remarkable legacy of William T. Powers' revolutionary perceptual control theory of human behavior, including its contribution to cognitive behavioral therapy through the development of the method of levels approach, may be wondering about the empirical evidence for such a sweeping repudiation of classical behaviorism. Prepare to have those questions answered with this episode's return visit of Richard S. Markin, this time to discuss his 2014 book, Doing Research on Purpose, a Control Theory Approach to Experimental Psychology, from New View Publications. In a remarkable collection of papers, Markin traces not only the steadily accruing empirical validation of PCT, but also the evolution of a new methodology for experimental psychology itself, given the need to assess the impact of phenomena that exist only inside the minds of individual organisms, namely the preferred reference values for sensory experience. Emerging from this methodological renovation is the bedrock of PCT investigation, the test for the controlled variable, a robust experimental procedure opening a window on the dynamics of varied forms of behavior, including the science of fly ball catching and baseball players and frisbee catching by man's best friend. In his book and in our conversation, Markin offers us a glimpse of experimental psychology and the world at large through control theory glasses and muses upon the possible social and ethical nature of a world that accepted PCT as the ground of our behavior. So now, without any further ado, let's turn to my new conversation with Rick Markin. Rick Markin, welcome back to the podcast. You're our first uh, repeat customer. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Nice to be here. So uh, because you've been uh, on the podcast before, um, we've had a chance to hear about your background and and how you found your way to an engagement with uh, perceptual control theory um, through your work as an experimental psychologist and also some of your other uh, experiences out in industry, etc. So we will refer uh, listeners to our previous interview about uh, your co-authored book, uh, Controlling People, if they want to hear that. And we can just dive straight into uh, the meat of this very uh, meaty book indeed. So obviously this book is a, is a collection of papers you'd written over a period of time. Uh, what led you to, and your publishers, etc., to believe that um, this collection was, uh, was something you wanted to pursue uh, and to make this body of work available uh, in this way? Well, it was mainly me who initiated the the idea, but uh, my uh, entire career with PCT has been uh, as an experimental psychologist, and it's emphasized or it's been all about how, doing research, uh, trying to figure out how to do research in this new uh, approach to understanding behavior. So I I realized that I had a had already published quite a few papers that were all kind of on the on the topic of uh, trying to illustrate how how you would go about doing this research and so so I put it together I, I wanted to get it out there as a, as a book I wanted to have some kind of um, methodology book a- available to anybody who might want it so I, I had the the papers available. Uh, I thought some of them were pretty good, and I thought they were kind of, you know, they covered the range of topics I wanted to cover. So I just uh, got together with uh, a fellow who, or the group that publishes material on control theory, and he was willing to do it, (laughs) knowing that it would have a relatively small audience. But I guess I should tell you that I just uh, got a contract with uh, Cambridge University Press to actually write a more of a textbook kind of thing on this topic. But uh, so this was this this book, which uh, which I actually looked over <laughs> in preparation for this interview, and 
and I think it's pretty good, but you know, they're, they're academic papers. And uh, so it, I, I think it would be rough going even for somebody who might want to become a researcher in this area. So um, I, well, I am planning, if I can do it, to try to write a, a more, uh, an, a textbook that's, that, that covers the same material, but in a more, uh, in a way that's more uh, like a textbook, I guess. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, first of all, congratulations on on that uh, on that development. And and this book that we're talking about, research doing research on purpose, really does fill an important gap because you've got Powers' work and others sort of the theory, and then we've got uh, you know stuff on MOL. Our the our recent um, interview with Warren Mansell is is up uh, and available to folks. And uh, so we you know, but the empirical under undergirding of the of this of the theory and these practices is so important. And uh, so the book has has filled a really important uh, gap. And I think obviously this great news that you're going to be producing a, a textbook as well will continue to do that. And hopefully this the sign that Cambridge uh, is interested in the textbook is a sign that uh, that PCT is is gaining more purchase in the in the world of experimental psychology. I I hope so. But uh, they they know this is a niche book, so they're right. they're taking a risk. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I was I was surprised and and very happy that they did it. But as far as this book, I still I I like this book, but it uh, it, it you know like I say these are these are papers that have been published mainly uh, papers that are, have been published in academic journals and, and there's, a, it's a, there's a lot of graphs and equations and things. Mm. And, but uh, don't let the listeners out there don't let that scare you. It's still a very, very, <laughs> a very, very readable book, and and it's good to have a number of examples of the test for the controlled variable, which we will talk about as we go along. So great, thanks. Yeah. Don't be frightened. We don't have to wait till Rick's textbook, although we will eagerly await Rick's textbook. But <laughs> this is still a book worth reading. Uh, so, um, so I love the title, and and like the title of the last book we talked about, you've got a lovely sort of play on words, a double entendre, uh, yeah. doing research on purpose, right? You had controlling people. So is that about controlling people, or is it about controlling people? And there's a <laughs> lovely play on words in this one as well, doing research on purpose, uh, because, of course, um, when researchers do research, they have an intention, they have a right. purpose in what they're right. doing, but so seldom do they seem to assume that the person that's they're doing the research on also has purpose. It's a very odd thing. Yes. And so yeah. can you tell us a little bit about, about that conundrum and, and how it inspired uh, the title and, and how that sort of idea sort of resonates throughout the book? Well, one of the things about perceptual control theory that uh, once you, you get it sort of and, and really start feeling the theory in your bones you realize that this is a theory that's about you as well as the objects of your study. And so, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, that's kind of one of the things that led to uh, uh, a lot of the problems that have occurred in, in, uh, in research psychology. It's the, the failure of researchers maybe to, to consider the fact that the, the organisms that they're, studying are the same kinds of organisms they are. There's a, uh, the most dramatic example of this is uh, something I described in the book Controlling People, which is B.F. Skinner being so proud of the fact that he was able to control behavior. So, uh, so he knew that he was controlling uh, mm. beha- uh, behavior, but he didn't seem to realize that the organisms, therefore, the organisms he was controlling, which were sometimes people, um, were also capable of doing what he was doing, and so he didn't see the the controlling aspect of, uh, which is the purposeful aspect of behavior, and and uh, went uh, ahead and and failed to get a correct understanding of behavior <coughs> simply by not noticing that the organisms he's studying are the same as he is really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. A very interesting, uh, uh, blind spot. Right. Uh, and I remember reading something that powers wrote, uh, talking about Skinner and, and the idea of the of behavioral conditioning and saying, well, it's, it's actually not such a 
clever trick to be able to manipulate the behavior of something of someone by withholding from them something they already want. Right, right. Right. I mean, there's an intrinsic <laughs> desire, right, that's in the organism to begin with. So yeah, I can get you to do a bunch of different things if there's something I know you already right. want that I have the power to withhold from you. Right. Um, to control other people, you uh, you have to t- you're taking advantage. You can do that by taking advantage of you know, knowing what what they want, what their purposes are, and um, yeah. So that's <clears throat> that's why I I like the title was because I, mm-hmm. it it kind of brings up the fact that research them researches themselves are purposeful systems, and it also you know because the word purpose is out there in big letters, uh, points to the fact that what you want to study is the purposeful aspect of behavior. I don't know if you've, if I mentioned this the last time, but one of the interesting things about psychology, uh, in terms of academic psychology, if, if you look through the index of textbooks on psychology, you will not find the word purpose <laughs> in there. Uh, psychologists don't like purpose, uh, you know, because uh, uh, for very, probably because Bill called it because of an allergic reaction to religion. (laughs) Yeah, right. We're still living with with the overcorrection of the desire to get away from mystical, uh, you know, that we, that we banished uh, any kind of telos whatsoever. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. And uh, so, uh, you, it's a, it was kind of a surprise. I've, I've looked through many different books, uh, introductory books and other kinds of cognitive psychology books and things. And they just, I, I don't remember ever seeing purpose as one of the index items. Uh, they just don't want to. Uh, uh, a lot of re- uh, research psychology is based on the idea that uh, organisms are not purposeful, that what appears to be purposeful behavior is actually a, a result of causal processes that are mm. that are affecting things. And mm. and uh, they've worked uh, under that assumption for over 100 years, fairly, at least from their perspective, fairly successfully. So that's why mm-hmm. it's hard to uh, get them to uh, get research psychologists to start uh, looking at uh, to do <laughs> to start getting them to do research on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you mentioned all the way back in the book. You mentioned all the way back to to somebody like William James. There were some of folks around who did want to keep purpose in the picture, and they had the right idea. But you say they didn't understand it sufficiently to launch a new science uh, and that you want to fill that gap with this book, which I think you've done a marvelous job. So can you say a little bit about what was missing for James? And 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 if you don't mind, if you could share, James has that lovely uh, Romeo and Juliet um, analogy that he draws, the difference between iron filings and a magnet and Romeo and Juliet. If you could sketch that for us a little bit would be lovely for, for our listeners. And also then say a little bit about what were the, what's the, what are the little things that people like James were missing? They had, they were in the right track, but they couldn't quite pull it in enough to, to launch this new science. Right. I, uh, yeah, I read that part of my book. I was surprised. I, I did that pretty well in part. <laughs> <laughs> um, William James uh, understood the difference between behavior that was purposeful and behavior that was not purposeful. And he illustrated it with that wonderful uh, analogy to uh uh, to Romeo going towards Juliet, which is a purposeful behavior, and iron filings moving towards a magnet, uh, both look like the both behaviors look the same. Uh, Romeo running to get Juliet, and the iron filings running to get to the magnet. But uh, he uh, he showed that the the difference between them is only exposed when you put an obstacle uh, between the uh, the actor and the goal of the apparent goal uh, with the <clears throat> with the iron filings if you put a card in front of them they just stop at the card and that's it <clears throat> because they're caused to do they they just respond you know they respond <laughs> to causes whereas Romeo if he runs up against a wall he uh, does everything he can <laughs> to try to get around the wall and and uh, so and that's that's what purpose is purpose isn't just getting to a goal, it's uh, doing whatever is necessary to get around 
unpredictable obstacles to get to that goal. And um, the reason it, uh, you know, the, what James didn't, under, what he didn't have was a, a theory of how this happened. Um, he, it, he, he, it was wonderful that he understood in his soul <laughs> the, the difference, uh, which uh, uh, was kind of really great. I love that. And I think some other people at the time kind of got that. But they didn't understand how a, a, what a, an apparently future event could cause present behavior. And uh, that, that was the, the, the thing that stumped them. The same thing happened to Toman. I, I saw that I noticed that Toman actually uh, understood the same thing when he put rats in mazes and he showed that they could get to the goal uh, once they'd learned to get to the goal, you know, by just running the maze, they could do it by swimming to the maze. So they weren't learning, uh, you know, they, their behavior wasn't a, a reaction. Their their behavior was being done to achieve, a, to, wow. to get purposefully, to get to a goal, to overcome disturbances. So the water was a, a disturbance that uh, they hadn't encountered before. But he, so he came up with the, uh, Tolman tried to explain that in the stimulus response terms, and he came up with all mm-hmm. this stuff. But it, you know, it, it wasn't a real theory. I mean, it's, you know, in the sense that it wouldn't work. <laughs> it, you couldn't make that uh, stimulus response kind of model if you actually implement it as a as a program or as a. Uh, yeah, as a, we we like to implement our theories as programs. Mm-hmm. Um, it won't actually behave purposefully. You have to have a closed loop system and uh, con- a control organization is is what works. So, it, it, right. So, so he so he was fit. He had the right idea, but he was to use your words in the early part of the book. I think maybe the first paper. He was not able to take off the behaviorist glasses through which he was exactly. looking at right. the phenomena, and instead look through control theory glasses. So this is a good moment then to tell us a little bit about what are the the key differences when a psychologist looks at something like that and he, and he went wrong because he kept still trying to explain it with his with his behaviors glasses on so what are the main features one notices differently uh when one looks uh when a psychologist looks at phenomena through control theory glasses rather than through behaviorist well actually glasses? i think uh, both james and tolman were looking at behavior through control theory glasses because they saw that um the uh, uh the same result uh, could be achieved under different circumstances. So, and what what the, what you see with control theory glasses is just that. That's what control theory glasses uh, means that you're able to wa- see a behavior, uh, any any behavior, like uh, uh, lifting a glass of water. I, or I, I, at the conference, I use lifting a glass of tea. Um, to take a sip of tea, you get uh, through through causal glasses. Uh, that just looks like uh, like your brain telling your arm to lift up the glass, and so it's causing this behavior. You know, it's the behavior uh, of lifting a glass of tea. It can it, through causal theory glasses, which is the current prescription. <laughs> is uh, just looks like a caused output. So the, the lifting of the glass is caused. Uh, and so you see it as a, as a caused output, a caused result of, in this case, brain, uh, brain outputs going to your arm and lifting and causing your arm to lift the glass. But through control theory glasses, you see that that, that can't be what's happening. Well, through control theory glasses, you can see that this is a a consistent result. The glass is consistently being lifted to your mouth, despite the fact that the circumstances under which it is done are constantly changing. And the most obvious thing being that when you, uh, after you've taken the first sip, the glass weighs a different amount. So if you, if you use the same neural impulses to produce that result, the second time you would um, end up throwing the in your face because you would be mm-hmm. using too much force. So, mm-hmm. um, so the so all that means is you have to through control theory glasses. You just have to be able to means be able to see 
that there are often unseen uh, obstacles always being uh, uh, counteracted as we do what we do. So behavior that looks like, uh, or in a reflex, for example, a reflex is another example where it's much, it's, it's very easy to see it as a caused output. So uh, like, uh, um, uh, well, the, uh, the pupillary reflex, uh, when you shine a light in a person's eye, the, the pupil shrinks down. <clears throat> it looks like a response, uh, a motor response of the, um, of the iris to, um, to light. Um, and what's not seen in that case is that there is a, a result that's produced, a consistent result is being produced by that, uh, that output. <clears throat> and that, that consistent result is a, a, a consistent level of uh, ambient light on the, uh, on the retina. So there's, so what's not being seen, what, what control theory uh, glasses <laughs> lets you see <clears throat> is this thing we call a, a controlled variable. So you can see that the, uh, the, the position of the cup when you lift a cup of tea or the, the, um, the light level on the retina or, or all these, uh, or the, uh, your, your, your upright position as you walk all these things that are happening that we see as behavior actually involve controlling certain variables. And mm -hmm. so it's basic. So um, what has, what is not seen when you're wearing the causal view is control. You're not seeing that there are, that variables are being controlled by uh, that. That's what behavior is. It's <clears throat> controlling various variables. And it's hard to see that. It's uh, mm -hmm. that's a, actually one of the great achievements, I think, of, uh, of Powers is is not so much that he discovered control theory. Control theory already existed. What Powers was able to do, largely because he was trained in physics, not in psychology, is he was able to see that these apparently simple behaviors that are outputs that look like just things we do are actually achievements and that, that what their achievements of keeping various variables in, in what in pre preselected states that they are kept in what we call reference states or uh, which are often variable reference states. Uh, like the position of the cup is a, is a mm -hmm. variable that's, uh, that's controlled in different states uh, over time. And, and of course the, the the impulse to drink is also being uh, driven by the uh, the variable around uh, around hydration. Right, right, right around. Right. So, so when you see drinking that way, you're looking at it through control theory, uh, through causal glasses that you know that you're being caused to drink. But actually, the drinking itself is uh, is controlling your um, your the the water level in your in your blood i guess mm -hmm. um, so the shift the shift of of glasses then takes us out of the general linear model right right yeah and the sort of sense of open loop versus closed loop can you say a little bit about about the, that terminology and and how uh what a what the difference between a closed loop and an open loop uh function yes uh, well uh the open loop model which is kind of the model that underlies research now uh, sees uh, um, a behavior, which is usually the dependent variable in research, um, as being caused by usual, ultimately some uh, stimulus or situational variable external to the uh, behaving system. So it's that's so the general linear model or the, the cause-effect model is a is open loop in the sense that the <clears throat> the, um, the the behavior is seen to be caused by is is seen as the last step in a causal chain that starts out in the world, and uh, so I don't know the example of that. Well, uh, they're they're all over, but reflexes are the easiest one. So um, 
you know, when, uh, well, in, in psychology experiments, uh, let's see, I, I use the example, one of the famous psychology experiment is one where they see the effect of, uh, of having uh, uh, many, uh, whether having people around with a different point of view affects your point of view. It's a study of conformity. So uh, the 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 behavior that is uh, whether you conform with the with the group uh, or not, and the stimulus is presumably the number of people who are uh, agreeing to some particular way of looking at things. And they uh, and what they found is that um, when when uh, several different people say that, for example, uh, in a in a visual illusion that, um, or not even, uh, yeah, in a visual illusion that one of the lines looks longer than the other when in fact it's the other way around and that the, that the subject often goes along with the group even though they're clearly seeing something different. And so that, that's seen as um, the, the cohorts, the, the, the people in the group who are agreeing to this thing, causing the person to agree with them. Um, where okay, so that's 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 the causal model, and that's how research is done. The research would be done, for example, by varying the number of people who are agreeing that the, the particular line is longer, and and measuring the response to that variation uh, in the in the stimulus. And it, so that kind of research, though. Uh, from my point of view, ignores the fact that the subject is controlling something and probably controlling not looking like an oddball, maybe. Or you know, so uh, by so his response is is uh, is is actually done to get something for himself to get to control something he perceives, which is his his uh, his status as a member of the group, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. so, and that's a closed loop process. So you're, you're asking about what's the difference between an open loop process, the open loop model, which is the model in psychology just says that, you know, stimuli, uh, eventually or inputs or whatever you want to call them, independent variables, external events, variations in external events lead to variations in, uh, behavioral events that you measure. And that's open loop. It's just cause effect. Um, the closed loop model in that situation um, would be that the uh, the the uh, inputs, the stimuli, uh, are actually a disturbance to a, a, a variable that's being controlled, a perception of oneself, for example, as a member of the group, and the action that you see is done to bring that perception to the desired reference level. So that's there's, so there's a closed loop. I'm acting to feel like a member of the group. And the, the fact that a very number of people are, you know, agreeing to that means that I have to either say I conform or not, depending on how, you know, how much of a disturbance the, the number of people who are looking at the line in a particular way are. Um, so that's, yeah, so, uh, and that actually makes me think of something else that's kind of relevant here. Um, uh, the, the closed loop model or the, and, and closed loop behavior that's produced by such a model um, looks like um, op an open loop behavior if you ignore the fact that a, a variable is being controlled. That's what happens in the reflex example. So in, in, the, in, the, in, the, um, in the, the pupillary reflex, it's easy to see it as stimulus response. It's easy to see it as a light causing the reaction of the iris because it's hard to see the the, the variable that's being controlled. You can't, you can't. And we can't see it because it exists as a mental state well, uh, often, or it exists inside, 
inside the organism itself, correct? Well, that's part of the reason, but you can, in, in, you could see it. Yes, you can see it. Um, you can see what people are controlling or else you couldn't do the research. So, well, and that's, and that's what this book does, right? Is it develops the methodology yeah. for how do you take this thing that's so hard to detect? It's so easy for us to say, to stay stuck in this linear open loop model because it's so hard to make that other thing visible. Yeah. And that's where your research and developing the test for the controlled exactly. variable that's comes. What, so, exactly. so let's, yeah. Let's get into the test for the controlled variable. So this is this is the crux of the matter. What is the research methodology that can make those controlled variables uh, available to us so that we can actually detect them? So can you tell us a little bit about the TCV? However you want to do that, I mean, there's a number of examples throughout the book, but w- whichever one uh, serves best as a model to describe okay. for our um, listeners. The test for the controlled variable, which is ultimately the the backbone right. of how to do this research on purpose. Well, yeah? I'll actually, I can, I'll start with, I'll use two examples, but the first one is William James. William James proposed the first test for the controlled variable, um, although he didn't quite do it right. But basically, you can tell that the that uh, uh, what he was doing was he was hypothesizing that uh, the uh, that the uh, iron filings or and or that um, or that Romeo were controlling for their distance from. Uh, in the first case, a magnet, in the second case, from Juliet. So they, so the test for the controlled variable starts with a hypothesis, a guess about what variable is being controlled, and it's, the guess is based. That's an an interesting thing is where do those guesses come from? But they come from observing behavior through control theory glasses and coming up with uh, hypotheses about what might be controlled. So anyway, but James, you know, sometimes it's kind of easy. So James had this implicit hypothesis that the distance to the goal was being controlled by these two things. And he, and if they were being controlled, a disturbance would not prevent the achievement of that goal. So, and that's what the, that's where the control variable basically is about. It says you introduce a disturbance to the variable and see if the, if that disturbance, you know, actually, has has the effect that you would expect if the if the if the variable were not being controlled. In other words, uh, when you put a so when you put a card in front of the iron filings, they uh, they stop at the iron filings. They, so they so the the distance is no longer controlled. So it's clearly not being controlled. There's the the iron filings aren't trying to reduce the distance between themselves and the magnet to zero. They just, the, 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 the disturbance is completely effective. Whereas with Romeo, when you put the wall between him, uh, he eventually will get around it or over it or something and get to Juliet. So the, the disturbance was not effective in preventing the variable from being controlled. So you can, so, so you conclude conclude that the variable was being controlled. That's a very gross example. But so in real research, though, the test for the control of variable is then done much more precisely. So the the the, the example of the test for the control variable that that I like that I think uh, that I use to illustrate it in a in an actual experimental situation is um, in the research on what we call object interception. And uh, in, that, um, in that research, <clears throat> we had, um, there, there were at least two different hypotheses about what people control when they uh, try to intercept an object, like catch a fly ball, or in, or in another case, uh, catch a Frisbee, <laughs> or something like that. Um, and to, to make it as simple as possible, the, there, the, the two hypotheses were that, um, the, that we control either the optical velocity of the, of the object, of the ball. Let's do it in terms of just catching a ball. One hypothesis we, we call, uh, we control the rate at which the ball is going up or down visually on our, 
the, the speed of the optical image of the ball, or we control the acceleration of the ball. And those are two different variables. And um, we were able to test that by, uh, you know, by recording uh, what was happening on the, uh, uh, on the uh, person's retina while they were trying to catch a ball or catch a Frisbee. And uh, the disturbance to that variable is the movement of the ball itself as it moves, or the Frisbee, as it moves out in space. And the, um, the, the, res the output that compensates for that, um, to the, the effect of that movement on the retinal image of the movement is your movement on the field, how you move. Um, for example, when the ball is hit to you, a fly ball is hit to you, you can keep the, um, the, the, the speed with which the ball's image moves up on your retina kind of constant by backing away. If it's hit, you know, it's, if it's going to go over your head, you back up and that keeps the image of the ball constant. And if it's hit in front of you, you move towards it to, to keep that image uh, constant. So we could tell uh, by analyzing the image on the retina while people caught balls and caught frisbees that what they were the, that what they were actually controlling was indeed the velocity and not the acceleration of the the image on the eye. So that that's a more technical. So th that's kind of a more technical example of research on on uh, test for the control variable kind of thing. We were actually testing to see what is the variable, uh, in this case, whether it was a, a velocity of the image or acceleration of the image that the person is controlling when they move to catch an object or intercept an object. And um, so that's it. That's, uh, it's the, that's the kind of research, uh, uh, one kind of research, fairly technical, I guess, research that, would, that involves testing to see what variables uh, people are controlling. Because that, yeah, the, the goal of, of research on purpose is to determine what kinds of variables people control while they're going about their business, uh, what kinds of inputs they're, they're trying to control. And, and uh, we try to do it, um, quantitatively, if possible. So in the case of catching a ball, we were able to quantify the control variable pretty well. Um, but people control other kinds of things that are going to be much harder to quantify. Mm -hmm. And uh, nevertheless, you know, the, there are presumably ways to figure out what those things are. But um, mm -hmm. I, want, I want to take us back a, a step to a simpler uh, TCV that you describe in the book, just a basic tracking yeah. task. And these are also things that I want to be able to, to direct our listeners to if they want to visit your website uh, where they can run some of these, these yeah. tests and simulations. So can you take us back to just the most basic tracking task? Because I think that's really also important for establishing uh, the empirical validity of this theory of behavior as well. Because when you look at the results in terms of the amount of variance that the competing uh, theories can account right. for is really quite startling. So can you just talk a little bit about okay, that? Okay, so the, the tracking task is used uh, to uh, illustrate control theory because it, uh, all the variables involved in the controlling are, are easily measurable and, and observable. <clears throat> so in a tracking task, and we prefer the kind that's called compensatory tracking task, what you're doing is you're trying to keep uh, a cursor, a line on the screen that can usually move, uh, let's say, horizontally back and forth. So it's a variable uh, cursor. Try to keep a cursor um, aligned with a fixed target line. Okay, so so you're asking the person to control the distance between the the um, the target and cursor. So the controlled variable is a distance. It's it's it, it's presumably the distance between the target and the cursor. 
and uh, so and you can you can represent that as a mathematically pretty easily that the position of the target is uh, x1 and the position of the cursor is x2 and the difference between x1 and 2 which will vary over time if left to its own because uh, the cursor is being pushed around by a disturbance though that distance is a variable and so your your mouse is uh, is affecting the position of the cursor as well and so the mouse uh, uh, will you can use the mouse to keep the the distance between cursor and target at zero and uh, and when and when we do that, when we have people do the tracking experiment, which is the first demo at my site and kind of a basic demonstration, uh, we find that indeed uh, you you can uh, that that people are apparently controlling a variable that's so that's that's the difference between the target and cursor position. They're trying to keep that at zero. That's that's the reference state. And uh, when you uh, you run a closed loop model of that tracking with a reference for the difference between cursor and target of zero, you get uh, correlations between uh, the model's behavior and the subject's behavior that are on the order of 0.999, uh, extraordinarily high correlations because it, that's just what has to happen. Uh, but uh, you can use that uh, finding <clears throat> to uh, to do uh, the, to to find out what people are controlling in more interesting situations. And uh, the one I like is my <clears throat> my little mind reading task, uh, which is also a demo at my site. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> in that case, instead of just controlling. Uh, cursor relative to a target, what I have people do is control the position of one of uh, three different um, uh, icons, three little uh, uh, pictures of <laughs> images of things. And um, uh, each of these uh, uh, images uh, is being pushed around by uh, the computer in different ways. And what you can do, what the, su the, the subject can do, is pick just one of those three uh, uh, images. Why can't I think of the name of what it is? Um, and one of the three icons, one of three characters, and move it around with your mouse. And the computer can tell which of the three uh, uh, icons is being moved around by you on purpose, even though your uh, your mouse is moving all three of them. And if you if you look at the screen, you you will see that it's it's actually impossible to tell which of the three uh, icons is being moved around uh, intentionally, and which are just side effects of the movement of the mouse and yet the computer can do can tell which one is being moved on purpose by doing because the computer is doing the test for the controlled variable it is uh, looking for the a in order to move the uh, the icons where you want them to go you have to not only be moving your uh, mouse in a way that gets them to do that, but the mouse also has to be compensating for disturbances that would make them move in a way that you don't want them to move. And so uh, the, the, the computer is looking for, for um, the, which of the icons is being least disturbed by the disturbance. So the computer knows that there are three different disturbances happening and it can and it knows what you're doing and it can tell that which of those icons is is moving least uh, with by the disturbance and it uh, it does a pretty good job of doing what is essentially mind reading because it is it is reading your intention. Uh, mm -hmm. your, 
without uh, which you couldn't do by just looking at the uh, overt behavior. So, um, mm -hmm. just and just to make this absolutely clear for our listeners, just jumping back to the first tracking test, can you explain what the opposite hypothesis would be? The one that's open loop that leads to a much uh, poorer correlation. Oh, that's, uh, yes, um, the. Conventional explanation of the tracking task is that the distance between the cursor and target is a stimulus for the movement of the mouse. Okay, and that um, which leads to a which leads to a different mathematical equation. equation Actually, correct? it does. But if yes, if you if you didn't, it's a. It's an interesting thing. Yes, if you just used the open loop equation and you didn't take account of the fact that the mouse was at the same time affecting the distance between the cursor and the mouse, then you'd get junk. <laughs> it would not work very well and you'd get the wrong results. Um, but uh, that's... You... Um, other the, you know, control theory was around before Powers w used it. Um, but the control theory that was around before Powers was exactly treating the, the distance between cursor and target as a stimulus. And they were getting reasonable results because... If you if you take the feedback link into account, the equations are the same as the equations that um, that Powers used that, that we used to to explain the same phenomenon. The only way you could that actually the best way to see that the uh, that, that the stimulus response view of this is wrong that the looking at the uh, the way to look at it, see that the um, that the distance between cursor and target is not a stimulus for the behavior. Well, there's two ways, but one of the easiest ways is just to ask the person to keep the, the you know keep the cursor one inch to the left of the target, for example, and so they can do that. So clearly, the the distance between the target and cursor hasn't caused them to do that. There's something inside them that made them do that. So right there, you can see that it's it's not a stimulus. But another way to do it is a is a way I came up with real early in the game, and that is um, if if the if the um, distance between the stimulus the cursor and target were a stimulus for the uh, behavior. Um, what you would expect to see is a is some correlation, and possibly a strong one, between the distance between cursor and target and the movement of the mouse. And that is, you'd, you'd see an open loop kind of correlation between uh, cursor and uh, between the cursor target uh, distance and the and mouse movement. That is, you'd expect to see that if the if the if the cursor moved to the left, you would see that the the mouse tended to move to the right, and vice versa, and that should show up as a pretty strong correlation in the data. Well, it turns out that the correlation between the cursor position and the mouse position is almost virtually zero. Um, and that was the thing actually that blew my mind uh, when I got into this. Uh, so uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, just looking at the, uh, looking at the, um, the uh, tracking task as a stimulus re response task, if you look at that that way, then you find the data just shows it couldn't be that way. It can't, be happening, and uh, I developed this little um, uh, uh, demo where I had uh, people uh, do the same tracking task twice uh, 
with the same disturbance to the cursor. And I found that the, the correlation between the disturbance, which the, you can't see, there's no, it's, it, which in a compensatory tracking task, the correlation between the disturbance and the movement of the mouse is like 0.999. And the mm -hmm. correlation between the distance between the cursor and the target and the mouse, which is the only thing you can see, is zero. And that mm -hmm. just blew me out of the water. And I, uh, so I, I published this little paper on it. And I actually, I was, I was a professor at the time, and I was teaching at a college where, a, a little college, and I showed this, this to uh, one of the professors there. <laughs> I had him do the tracking task, and I showed him the correlation between the cursor and the, um, and the, and the mouse versus the correlation between the disturbance, the invisible disturbance in the mouse. And he got pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> he said that can't be right. It's, he just because it's so counterintuitive. It's just uh, mm -hmm. it's and it, it it's not you know it's not a mystery. The the reason it happens, the reason you get that result is because you are in a closed loop relationship with the cursor and target. So the 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 cursor target distance is both a stimulus and a response at the same time. And. Mm -hmm. Via the feedback function, function, yeah, and that just screws up these uh, the something like a correlation between that that variable and the and the behavior that you're taking a correlation of something that's within a loop, and, and it just everything you know it does doesn't work. So uh, so the cause effect model is wrong with for behavior. It's just it just doesn't mm -hmm. work, but it looks like it works when you just look at, you know, certain aspects of the control process. And so it's hard to uh, get people to do the new, you know, do this kind of research. And when you just do more genuine open loop kind of tasks, the two types of correlation prediction, they, they, they balance out, which is also consistent with powers yes, theory, correct? Do. Yeah. Um, but if it's closed loop, if you're asking the, the participant to, to, to take some action like in the tracking task and it's closed loop, the control theory model will give you these, you know, 0.99 yes. kinds of, uh, and, and the, 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 they're startlingly low for the causal. I mean, it's not even close. Yes. Right? It's uh, it, the, well, the causal model just doesn't work when it's applied properly, but it, 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 the, there's a lot of difficulties here that, you know, it's, I, when I got into this, I thought it would just be a real easy shot to, um, <laughs> to show that the causal model is wrong and if we should just start working on this. But uh, there, are, there are complexities that make it not so easy uh, to do. Um, but I'll give you another, and it's also, it's, you know, behavior is intrinsically closed loop. So it's hard to uh, show, uh, to, to demonstrate what, what behavior looks like when it's open loop. But I did, I developed a little demo to show what it would, what it would look like. I had a person, I developed a thing where a person does a tracking task, just, you know, the compensatory tracking task. And, and the, the, the distance between cursor and target, I, I kept that, I stored that. And, and it, at some point in the demo, um, I switched to the recorded picture of the uh, cursor target distance and, and, and prevented the, uh, or broke the loop, uh, the feedback connection from the, from the, uh, God, I'm sorry. Uh, from the mouse to the to the cursor, so so the person was suddenly op operating open loop and they didn't know it. In other words, their their mouse had no effect on the, the what they were seeing, and yet they were. But so they were seeing what they had seen in the closed loop case, and so 
if so what they so what you were seeing as my results was the response the open loop response of the mouse to the um, to the visual image that had been seen in the closed loop case and what you get of course is uh, is uh, the the mouse moves in a way that would not have kept the cursor anywhere near the target and so yeah. so this so when you're open loop uh, yes open loop behavior is is completely different than than uh, mm. than closed loop behavior and that's another way of trying to show that the closed loop model is right and the open loop one is wrong but again it's it's a hard thing to to try to convince people of so my current approach is not to try to convince people of it but just like in this new book i'm going to try to write i'm just going to assume this is the way you should do research and this is how to do it and this is what to look for and this is these are the issues to be to consider when you're doing the research um, and this is what you'll learn from the research. And I'm not going to mm -hmm. spend a lot of time saying why the uh, open loop model is, is wrong, or I, I, I was actually considering not saying anything about it at all, <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, just going in and saying this is the way behavior works, and this is the way to study it, and just ignore right. everything that's happened right. before. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've earned that right after the years of hard work you've done uh, pioneering this methods of, uh, yeah. of research. So, I mean, the book goes through uh, a number of, of, of uh, things that fall into what you call the illusion of no control, including things like the knee-jerk uh, reaction when the doctor tests that, in fact, there's a variable that's being right. controlled, uh, causation in psychological experiments. I mean, you really do debunk a lot of really sort of primary things that people are thinking, well, surely that's just a behaviorist thing. So it's it's the power law. I mean, it's really amazing the number of things that you are able to overturn uh, in the course of this series of, of papers. Um, and of course, there still remains work to be done as you continue to find ways to make the test for control, the control variable, able to... Um, tests more subtle kinds of social uh, variables we might want to be right. controlling, like not looking like a fool or, you know, I want to be the smartest person in the room right, right. or whatever those other things are. So there, uh, but uh, so there's lots of work to, to still do. And, and uh, you and other members of the control systems group are, are continuing to do that work. Oh, before I move on, can you mention the, 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 the website where people can go to My find. My website uh, is called mindreadings.com. All one word, M-I-N-D-R-E-A-D-I-N-G-S.com. And uh, one of the yeah. picks is, uh, I think, My Demos. And then there's uh, also a link to demos that were developed by William Powers. And, uh, yeah. So as we move as we move to a close here, the the I find the last uh, chap the last two chapters of the book very very poignant. And when uh, you were asked to contribute to a, a fest shrift uh, for Bill Powers, and you decided to play a little game where you imagined that you were looking back yeah. fifty years rather than at the present moment, and imagining a world where PCT had managed to overturn the behaviorist uh, models uh, undergirding most of. Uh, of psychological research and all the things that had shifted. Uh, so to help us really get a sense of the, the, the ramification, we start with these, you know, sort of simple, you know, tracking tasks and keeping yeah. cursors in the right positions. But if one plays out the implications of the perceptual control theory, the model of human behavior, the implications become quite profound. So can you just say a few things about that thought experiment you played about looking back over 50 years. So what, what are the major, what are some of the potential major differences in our world if we were to embrace and, and, and really go with this, uh, this alternative model of. Well, I've become behavior. even more cynical since I wrote that, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, just pretend for me, yeah. for the listeners. <laughs> um, well, I think. Uh, I don't remember. Actually, I, I didn't. I was going to reread that section. And I didn't reread it. Um, right now, I would say that the implications are, of course, that uh, we would uh, 
hopefully uh, policy people and ordinary people, but I don't have a, would start, uh, you know, looking at their approaches to uh, helping people or making the world a better place in terms of a, uh, a, a deeper understanding of the fact that they're dealing with um, autonomous organisms, people, uh, just like themselves, that are, uh, you know, controlling many different things that we don't know about and that we have to be, uh, you know, sensitive to the fact that uh, uh, these people have legitimate um, uh, goals that they are trying to achieve, uh, often ones we don't care about uh, or don't care for, and um, but we have to somehow uh, figure out how to live amongst ourselves being this kind of uh, organi organization. And I think uh, a lot of our, our policies would, uh, would move towards, uh, towards education. I think ultimately, I'm, I'm beginning to think that the only thing that will save us uh, from ourselves and from destroying ourselves is is educating is educating ourselves uh, in in a humanistic sense uh, about ourselves and um, and I, I guess that's the ultimate uh, kind of understanding that I guess I would hope to get from this. My own uh, mm. my own you know interest in this is so technical. And, uh, you know, I get it's so much fun for me to just do the science part of it. Uh, and and I, 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 I got into it partly because I thought, yes, it would change the world, make the world a better place. But um, I, I don't really know how to do it. I think the, the work that is being done by the MOL people in terms of uh, working with people to help themselves in, on a personal level is is superb and uh, I hope that I think that's one of the main ways that this uh, that that this point of view the control theory thing will will have an impact a beneficial impact on society but I, that's on an individual level and uh, but I'd always hope that it would uh, uh, and I still do hope that it would inform um, policies that can help people um, do what's most important, which is to give all people, not just themselves, a, a better ability to be in control of their of their lives. And uh, mm -hmm. well, certainly, I, I well, use, certainly I I use uh, PCT and the some of the theater work I do at my own institution. Uh, we use theater to explore uh, conflict yes. in the workplace. And looking at conflict through a control theory right. lens uh, opens up new options for the ways that people can deal with each other. Uh, often conflicts uh, are about, you know, sort of policy and there's things going on on the surface that people are, are battling for. But underneath that, there are other kinds of reference values, like just uh, wanting to feel respected, wanting to feel that one's autonomy is is yes. recognized, um, is is comes up in huge ways. And so I, I can personally speak to the idea that, that looking at conflict, using perceptual control theory as a, as a theory of conflict and looking at what is it that people are trying to control for and what are the ways in which we can try and mutually satisfy uh, as many of those things as possible that if they don't, aren't detected, um, and are often unknown to ourselves. That's one of the great powers, of course, of MOL, the method of levels therapy, is that it helps one unravel things that one is controlling for right. that one didn't yeah. even know. Yeah. Uh, because as you pointed out, until there's a disturbance, we don't know we're right. controlling for it, right? So if you're used to being the funniest person in the room all the time and you're just going on and then suddenly there's a new friend in your social circle who's very, very funny and you're feeling uncomfortable right. Right. in social right. situations yes. that you never used to. And then you get, and then you see an MOL therapist. You go, "Oh my God, I'm really invested in being the funniest person right. in the room all the time." 
Do I want to continue right. with that behavior? Is that yeah. really that important? So it, it opens up just new ways of, of self-reflexivity and also understanding interpersonal conflict. Yes, I, I agree. Well. I agree. Of course. Yes. But uh, it's uh, I think it's a it's personally been an extraordinarily useful approach on a personal level to help me, uh, you know, deal with my own conflicts, which occasionally pop up. Um, and, but it's also, but I have, it, it, for me, it's, uh, I have trouble understanding how it could really help with interpersonal conflict within, you know, conflict mm. between people. Seems, uh, mm. That's, that's one that uh, needs work. <laughs> All right. Well, you and I will hopefully continue to have conversations like this one, and and uh, I, th- that's the realm that I'm doing a lot of work in right now. So hopefully yeah. we'll be able to share uh, results as as time goes on. We've taken up a lot of your time. You've been most generous with your time. You've mentioned the textbook. Is there anything else that's on your current horizon in terms of uh, projects you're that's engaged in? That's pretty much right it. Now? I'm actually getting involved with some work with uh, a social psychology, and not a social, a neuro physiologist who's doing work uh, social social behavior of bees <laughs> and i'm um, mm. kind of yeah trying to think about how to model some of the things she's interested in she's very good and uh but basically the book is the main for focus right now right and do we have a time frame uh, when we might expect year, that, uh, so. that okay I better let you go then so you can get at it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Rick. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Always good to talk to you. Uh, We've been talking to Rick Markin about his book, uh, Doing Research on Purpose, here on New Books and Systems and Cybernetics, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon.